Scuba Obsessed Weekly Podcast, we talk about all things scuba diving, from cool new gear, to places to dive, and scuba news. Scuba Obsessed, episode 366, is recorded live May 10th, 2018. Welcome back to Scuba Obsessed. I'm Darren Jolson coming to you from the southwest side of the great state of Michigan where we are having beautiful green weather. This is kind of the, the weather you live in Michigan for. Joining me this week, we have Mac, the dive mentor. How are you doing today, Mac? I'm pretty good. I'm talking about green skies. Have you ever seen green lightning? No, I have not seen green lightning. Well, if it keeps up, you might be able to see some more. It's, it's quite unique, especially if you didn't know, you know, what really causes it. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, you can have all sorts of stuff. What makes it green? I'm not sure, to tell you the truth. So it's, it's not like but you're sprinkling really, copper or anything in it. No, it, but it's really different to look up there and say, that's a little odd. See green lightning. Obviously, there's something in the air that's uh, chemtrails. What can I say? Chemtrails, that's it. <laughs> ah, I just figured it out. Yeah. Well, you, you missed, uh, I think we had, uh, when one of the one of the weeks you weren't on, we had the... Uh, an alien one. So I knew, I knew you'd you'd miss that one. Bummer. We'd like to thank everybody who's in the chat room. We're kind of getting back into the swing of things. Last week's episode was a little bit short on time, but hopefully everybody enjoyed it. Wanted to get caught back up, and the, the robotics season is officially over with, which means it gets to start over again. So I had a meeting earlier today, and we're already planning for next year. Uh, and then I, the, before we get started, I, I had a little bit of. Uh, fun this weekend, completely undive related, but I got to experience the emergency room. Uh, I, I was uh, mowing out in the backyard and my wife called me on the cell phone. I have one of those uh, big, heavy insulated headsets and I connect it to my phone so I can hear podcasts. And she said, uh, run and grab some ice, which is never a good thing to, to hear when somebody calls and says, do that. So I, I went and grabbed ice and I come around and my daughter is lying in a pile of manure And I said, what's up? And she goes, I think I hurt my arm. And I could tell just by looking at it that it was broke. Uh, She had done, she was jumping her horse and uh, had a little bit of a rough landing, was a little bit unbalanced. And uh, the horse decided he could turn, but uh, she couldn't. So she ran the fence and had a nice, they called it a, a, I'm trying to remember the name of the break. It was a baton break. Does that make sense? And uh, they said it was from, uh, it was named in the 70s from uh, the riots. If you got hit by a baton, that's how clean, that's the type of break you'd have. So a little bit of of excitement. I guess, you know, hopefully she gets, she gets better here soon. Yeah. Does she have, uh, she uses a helmet when she rides? Yes, she uses a helmet and she also has, uh, uh, it's a brace. So she's doing any sort of jumping. Uh, It's kind of like almost like armor. Uh, it's uh, a poly material that, you know, you, you, it's got Velcro and you cinch it in and it's supposed to protect your spine if you fall off. Cause a lot of times when you're doing jumping, what will happen is some of those jumps, cause she's into uh, venting and, and combined training, uh, cross country courses. So some of those, uh, jumps don't fall when you hit them <laughs> if they're tree log or something. So you want to dissipate some of that force. So she does and she did, but, uh. Yeah, this particular one, and it's kind of surprising because the fence that she ran into, we have an electric fence in this section, and uh, it's a, about a one-inch wide uh, tape material. It's a, it's a poly material, and it's got uh, stainless steel wires woven through it uh, to electrify the fence. And it just must be she had all her force coming down on that because it, it breaks, but it must not have broke soon enough because uh, she had a break in her arm. So she got it, they didn't, didn't want to cast it for a couple days, uh, the x-rays. Uh, show a clean break, and then she's got a little bit of a chip. So they they wanted the heal, the swelling to go down. They've she's got a full cast from her shoulder out to her fingers, uh, and it's in black because she's in a queen contest coming up here. Uh, she wants to match her dress. Um, well, she was uh, in the parade last week, wasn't she? <laughs> she was in the parade then Saturday. The, yeah, she yeah. Was, she, she was there up on the on the car wave, and that one was for the uh, uh, fair queen that she had won last year. So. 
And my wife said, oh, look, there's Darren's daughter. Yeah. Yep. She, uh, yep. So the, 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 and, and it was her, her waving hand that she broke. So yeah, the, the next contest, it's Miss Lake, Michigan, or one of those other ones. Uh, she, she did, after winning the, uh, the fair queen, she discovered that hey, that's a good way of getting scholarship money. It never hurts. Yeah. Every little, every little bit helps. And she's already had a free ride for her first two years. So she's trying to pad the next few. Uh, well, she was in the, in the waiting room or not the waiting room, in the emergency room when the doctor came, uh, and he went to leave, he goes, well, can I ask you a question real quick? Cause she's been doing this. Anybody in the healthcare industry, she asked them, you know, what, what they got, what the degree is, how bad their student loans and what would they do different? And the doctor she talked to, he had four certifications and he was a nuclear physicist before he became a doctor. And his first line of medicine he did was, uh, radiation medicine. So he, do, he was doing like chemotherapy and stuff like that. And he had dosed out on that certification, which is why he had to get the other ones. Between him and his wife, he has $9,000 a month in student loan payments. How did he dose out? I don't know. I mean, I, I, I've been in the nuclear industry. I have quite a few friends, 40 odd years, mm-hmm. and we never even got close. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we don't even get our yearly maximum ever. Yeah, that, and that was my dad, too. I mean, he went all the way through the uh, the Navy and then was a radiation uh, safety guy. And then did, he trained he trained uh, radiation safety for years. And I, I don't think he even approached a, a minor percentage of it. And, and, uh, but he, you know, I, we didn't really ask him. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I was thinking the same thing. All I know is stewardess, they don't call them that anymore, do they? Flight attendants. Flight attendants, me. yes. Yeah, you know, and pilots, they pick up massive doses because, you know, flying at 35 and 40,000 feet, you're getting a lot of radiation. Yeah, if I remember correctly, it was a cross-country flight is the equivalent to a chest x-ray, which sounds a little little much, but even so. Well, climb some of those real tall mountains. Yeah, well, then the uh, same thing with uh, astronauts. You know, if you're on the International Space Station, you're you're getting a pretty good dose, too. Yeah, yeah. So wearing a tinfoil hat isn't all that bad sometimes. No. no. Get a little bit of that copper mesh going, and it may not be a bad idea. Then that way they can't read my thoughts. They wouldn't want to look at mine anyway, or hear mine. <laughs> <coughs> so let's go ahead and jump right on into the news this week. And while we're at it, we have uh, some people in the chat room. We have to do a shout-out to Derek and uh, Tedward. So this first one is an article from Patty. And they say that they're getting ready for their 2018 Master Scuba Dive Challenge. And what they're saying is if you become a Patty Master Scuba Diver and join the best of the best, and this is reading from their press release, in recreational scuba diving, a Master Diver rating places you among the elite group with less, with fewer than 2% of divers ever join. Your Master Scuba Diver card is proof you've invested significant time in your dive training, accumulating scuba experiences and skills that allow you to maximize your potential and ability to for underwater exploration adventure to take the challenge you earn your master scuba diver rating from may 1st 2018 to september 30th 2018 you can win a vacation for two to the anthony's key resort in rotan bay islands package includes round trip economy airfare airport transfers seven nights accommodation at anthony's key resort and a basic dive package with the resort uh, if you go to the paddy website they'll have more details in the rules i'd like to say patty doesn't pay us for that we do that because we think you may listen but if you want to help us out since patty's not sending us any money you can go to our website click on the patreon link and any amount will help we understand if you can't but we certainly appreciate it when you do three dollars or more gets you access early access to the show notes which we put out just before the show this week and uh you know shout out to all our patreon supporters you certainly are appreciated the next article that we have, or actually, Mac, do you know of many people who have gotten the Master Scuba Diver rating? I, I well, I have one. I have a Nauri one. Oh, okay. I, but I just I did it back, uh, you know, a couple of years ago just to get current again because I'm always talking about uh, continuing education. Mm-hmm. So I took it through SAS and them just to find out what I didn't remember and what has changed, and some items have changed over the years. So. In the, the master scuba diving rating, was that just kind of a review of everything you'd already done? 
It was a little bit of everything, but you had to have, you know, certain certs before you took it. You know, you had mm-hmm. to be current on your CPR, your first aid. Uh, you, know, I, you know, I've done the SLAM courses, all the stuff you normally get C cards for. I have been through, and a lot of them I do have C cards, even though we did it for your head cards. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Huh. That might be an interesting thing to go and try. That's, yeah, I need to actually, I think my next certification I really need to get to do is my rescue diver. I somehow have not had time to go and get that done. And that would be a good warm up to get ready to, to do something else. I see a lot of people. Better, go ahead. I was going to say better than that, though, is we've really been encouraging everybody to get your oxygen provider, mm-hmm. AED, first aid, get those. And well, of course, nitrox, but get the safety ones out that you haven't had for a while. And you do want to maintain your, your certification per se for your, your CPR, but we are getting older and, you know, we now have an AED in the, in the club kit. We have safety gear. We'd like everybody to know how to use it because, you know, the life you save could be mine. <laughs> yeah. And I'd really appreciate you guys being right up on that stuff. Yeah. And I keep mine current at work. I'm one of the first responders uh, for the building. So I keep mine current. Uh, what I do need to do is get that oxygen provider. So that would be, that'd be one to go ahead and get, which I'm, I wonder if that would be something that would go in with the rescue training. I believe that was a uh, prereq. Oh, prereq. And that's why we, yeah, and that's why we had it again in January when nobody's diving at the class. Mm-hmm. We did that again this year and last year. We had all those plus uh, nitrox. Yeah. And then this year, of course, after one of the uh, other dives, we wound up having the ice diving class, yeah, the I, physical class, not the practical. Yeah, I, I need to refresh my uh, nitrox as well because I, I never did because I did the Nawi the first time and you had to do a dive to get it. And even though I have dove on nitrox many times, I just never went back, and it was so long. I mean, that, that's one of the things I hope that these organizations do is the the pain in the butt factor for some of this stuff needs to be reduced. You know, if you if you take the course, it needs to be a little bit easier. You know, make you jump through all the hoops. You know, after paying for it, it, it kind of sits wrong that you've got to do some extra things just to get a card you already paid for. I, I think one of the biggest items for nitrox or any of the more sophisticated diving anymore is your dive computer. I physically do not use a dive computer unless I'm up, you know, up in Mackinac and I use a hockey puck. And uh, I just use it to confirm my time. So I plan it, I use my clock, my watch, and my air. And when I use nitrox, I never, I don't use the, the nitrox provision in mine because I use it strictly as that extra little protection being older. Mm-hmm. And as long as I have a certain percent of nitrox and I don't go below a certain depth and time limit, I'm never going to have an issue. Yeah. I, Let me rephrase that. I, I should not have should an not. issue because I'm being ultra conservative. Yeah. I may not have the downtime you guys do, but realistically, when I come back up, I'm going to feel good about what I did and what I didn't do. What I really like the dive computer for is as, as a logger. And just to validate, if something changes in your dive down there, it gives you a little bit of peace of mind to know that you're still within the, the safe ranges. But I agree, you need to plan in advance. And I know some people like to plan on the dive computer itself. I have just not found any of the interfaces on the dive computers to be something that I enjoy using when I'm out yeah. of the water. So it's just as easy to go and do a table or an online calculator as opposed to trying to do it directly on the computer. We'll have to uh, find out how John, I think John Naboda has a, a very nice, sophisticated mm-hmm. one that he now has. I think a lot of people have it. I can't think of the name of it, the life uh, of me. But Shearwater? You know, John, I'm not sure. I know he had it, and I saw it on Facebook, and I know he's going to do his uh, rebreather. So he's going to be needing a lot of the technology that I normally would not use for shallow water river diving. So. You know, maybe we'll get some of these guys to come online and talk about their computers yeah, one yeah. time. Maybe we need to. Because what I like about some of these, especially I'm not, I don't have any intent anytime soon to be doing tech diving. But when you're changing gas mixes during a dive, that is just something that the dive computer makes a lot easier. Because otherwise, I, I think in the old days, people were keeping these lists on their arm. And then if for some reason they had to go to a different gas a little earlier, a little later, you still were guessing to a certain amount, so you had to be so conservative in your your dive plans. Um, and this is and when we have our rebreather divers on, they'll say tell you the same thing about some of the mixes that they're able to do and how they reduce their their deco obligations. 
So we have a scuba club that is giving Marine uh, Marina some underwater spring cleaning. The North Bay Scuba Club will be jumping in the water to tidy up the waterfront marina this Sunday morning, and that's this Sunday coming up. So about the time you hear this episode, you probably missed it. Uh, it's going to be 10 a.m. each year for the last 17 years. Members of the North Bay Scuba Club have removed numerous wheelbarrows full of garbage and have fished items such as lawn chairs, barbecues, bicycles out of Lake Nipissing, as well as club members have salvaged propellers and tools from the water or turned them to their owners. The club always welcomes new members. Anyone interested can show up at the North Bay Waterfront Marina this Sunday or email Club at gmail.com for more information. Their website is NorthBayScubaClub.com. That's always a good program. I like to see uh, clubs given back. I mean, that's a, it's a great way of getting interest. Because I would have to say that some of our uh, publicity from helping clean up in the river and just diving along the river probably has gotten us a few members. At least we've got shore support that way, and that's a big deal. I'm really uh, curious to see how much, what kind of participation we have this coming year since we've had the flood and we've had some coverage about the denials and us diving there Mm -hmm. and the ecology dive early in the year. Uh, Hopefully we'll have some actual real-time coverage maybe when we do it this year. Uh, To get sidetracked over in the news, has anybody had a chance to get in the river since the floods? I have not. I know uh, a couple of people have kayaked it, but remember two week and a half ago, we had another three inches of, of rain in yeah. four hours or whatever. Yeah. And all the creeks around me, had, oh, they yeah. just flooded out. Uh, you're talking six, seven feet over overflow. Yeah, Hickory Creek, that uh, that old steel bridge, the water was right up to that again. What, what I think is going on is that the ground in, is, in the water table are so saturated that it doesn't take a lot of water to return it to flood because I was driving by, uh, what was it, Barbet's Farm, and it was like Monday, and I looked over there, and, I'm like, and they had the greenhouses all up and plants out there, and I said, it wasn't too long ago, and that was underwater, and then we had that rain that Tuesday, and Wednesday they were underwater again. So it, Right, the, it, the fields in my neighborhood are, uh, are underwater, and nobody's planting right. Yeah, that, they're too wet. they got to let it dry out a little bit. Otherwise, you're just going to plant the seed and it's going to rot. Um, yeah, so I, I'm not aware of anybody getting in the rivers in any amount. Uh, I have seen some Lake 16 dives and some other dives, but uh, hopefully this weekend, which we'll talk about in a later segment, uh, we may see some people in Lake Michigan, finally. Well, let's see this next one. Uh, that we're called, oh, and I'm, I'm sorry, I'm ignoring the chat room. Yeah, I didn't paste anything in there. Did most... you skip on that about the uh, animals can hear us? You know, actually, I did. Let's go ahead uh, and do that one next. And I'll paste this one in the chat room so they can follow along. We need to deputize somebody in there. <laughs> Have them paste it in. Uh, but this one is the marine animals can hear us swim, kayak, and scuba dive. They say humans make a lot of underwater noise because we generate and push bubble clouds water, which vibrates and sends out acoustic waves. They said, well, it seems obvious that things like boats can be heard by marine life underwater. What about human activities like swimming, canoeing, and scuba diving? During the 175th ASA meeting, Christine Irby, director of the Center of Marine Sciences and Technologies in the Curtin University in Perth, Western Australia, will describe her work exploring the impact of man-made underwater noise on marine life. The image shows research Rebecca wielding diving during the study. Well, it's obvious that things like boats and other vehicles can be heard by marine life underwater. Uh, what about activities like swimming, canoeing, and scuba diving during the 175th meeting? Uh, Why wow, they're just repeating everything over again. That's really annoying. Uh, human generates underwater noise the moment we take to the water, says Herb, who studies a big source of underwater sound on behalf of industry and defense. <laughs> when you say defense, you see the big buck, the bucks coming. Jessica said that out of a general scientific curiosity, she wanted to find out just how loud we are individually. Many people don't realize that sound travels extremely well and far underwater. We can hear individual ships 10 to hundreds of kilometers away, and when we're out in the ocean, we can hear ships coming along before we finally see them appear on the horizon. Human-made noise is a problem underwater because marine animals rely on sound for all their major life functions like foraging, traveling, and mating to understand how much interference we cause. We need to measure the sounds we generate underwater. To do this, we deploy hydrophones, essentially underwater microphones, to record the sounds of the ships passing. In this study, people swimming over the hydrophone. When testing in a pool, Herb and colleagues were surprised to discover just how noisy humans are underwater. 
Thanks to simultaneous underwater video and audio recordings, we're able to match specific sounds of activities, including different swimming styles, diving, kayaking, and scuba diving. She said, it turns out that most of the sound is related to the bubbles we generate at the water surface. Every time your arms pierce the surface while swimming freestyle, you push a bubble cloud underwater, which vibrates and sends out acoustic waves. As you might guess, swimming breaststrokes is much quieter than freestyle. In fact, after watching others in the group swim each style just once, researchers were able to tell while listening blindfolded who swam which style next. Some of us use much more force in swimming than others, Herb said. For example, some swimmers exerted more energy vertically downward, pushing huge, noisy bubble clouds underwater, while other swimmers use their energy to move forward propelling scents and create much less bubble noise vertically below them. Different swimming styles each have their own distinct sound, according to researchers, and when kayaking, the water dribbled off each paddle's edge creates a high-frequency dripping sound underwater that is easily recognizable. Scuba divers also create an alternating pattern for breathing in and out, which is clearly distinct distinguishable underwater. The group determines that the sound from non-motorized water sports is most likely not going to harm any animals, but is loud enough for animals to hear. Yeah, I'm not, you know, anybody who's been diving uh, understands that you're making noise. I'm I'm surprised that that they were surprised. Maybe it's just because they don't spend as much time underwater as a scuba diver does. Well, like you said, we do not even compare, though, to the noise generated by a propeller. Oh, no, no. A propeller generates a, a lot more noise. And then you have a lot of acoustic noises from other sources. Uh, when we used to dive to River, for example, oh there was a restaurant down into the piers. And they had a viewpoint, or a viewpoint, they had a part of the seawall had a, a big window in it. So mm-hmm. people on the lower echelon could look out and see things like diver. And you would hear that place way before you got there. Because whatever transpired in, inside of that broadcast against the window and then broadcast out into the river. Well, you mentioned that, but the thing that I was surprised is how loud the animal noises were in the water when we were in the Cooper River. The clicking could almost be deafening at times, and that was just a shrimp. Well, yeah, I was going to say, that's all the shrimp running into your body because I'm down there wondering, what is all this stuff hitting me? You know, yeah. I thought it was sand. And I'm looking like, wait a minute, those are animals. I'm glad they don't have teeth. Yeah, yeah, I, I I don't remember getting pinched by anything down there, even though we have the uh, gator story, which that's for another episode. But the sound of these animals underwater, it's it's not surprising. Uh, and they they mention the the drips dripping off the edge of a of a paddle. Just think what it must sound like under underwater when it's raining. You know, water's dripping off trees; it's coming directly down from the sky, uh, you know, rolling off other objects into the water. Uh, so I, I was kind of wondering if they were going to get to an angle where they're going to say that scuba diving was damaging the hearing of a fish or was interfering. But, you know, when we, when we enter the water, we're part of that world. Okay. Now I really haven't looked this up, but I'm curious, do fish have eardrums or are they feeling the acoustics through the cavities of their body? Hmm. Okay. Do fish... I mean, I've never seen a fish where they're hearing it. I was just sort of curious. Yeah, the, the, the fish hearing aid market has not been something I'd really want to invest in. It says fish. I'm sure somebody I'm sure somebody will now look that up and find out do they have <laughs> how does a fish hear? Because I've never really thought about that. Yeah, it, it's uh, this is uh, according to the great big book of everything, the internet. The fish don't have ears that we can see, but they do have ear parts inside their heads. They pick up sounds in the water through their bodies and the internal ears. This is according to the National Wildlife Federation. I just remember that I thought there's like a chamber in the dolphin, for example, like the echo chamber return. Mm-hmm. So I would imagine that would really get really um, messed up. If you had something else being bombarded into that echo chamber you had in your forehead. Well, that's what some of these uh, studies have been trying to find out recently is the the military sonar, what kind of impact they're having on like orcas or killer whales. Uh, so there's been some concerns that just, normal naval activity uh, was causing some harm. But it's it's real hard on that be, to to find out because you've got the so- two sides are so polarized on those types of issues that, uh, you know, it might be a long time before we really know definitively. Yeah. All I know is if I'm on a fast attack, I'm going to be really quiet. I'm going to use passive gear so you can't tell where I'm. <laughs> yes. I keep the, the 
a hunt for red October just comes to mind when you say that. <laughs> one active ping, please. Yes. And then this one is a selfie. I'm not one of those people who ever intentionally does selfies, but this this one actually is uh, pretty cool. So we'll, we'll add it to the chat room. Mark Tilly 35 lured the fish in with a squid on his face mask, and he's able to get his selfie with a five-foot stingray. Of course, it's not really a selfie because he says fellow diver Jim Catlin caught the moment on the camera. So that's not a selfie. That's a photo- photograph, isn't it? I would think so, yeah. Yeah. Uh, southern stingrays are found in abundance in the shallow sandbars of the Caribbean island, regularly hand-fed by tourists, so they're used to posing for photos. The animals can grow to five feet. They have poisonous barbs, which can cause trauma to humans if stepped on or pierced the skin, uh, which also famously killed Steve Irwin. Catlin, who was based in the Cayman Island, said about seven of us made a 5 a.m. meet at the dock to head out to Stingray City in the dark. It was an incredibly special place to see the sun come up and makes for some incredible photographic opportunities with the resident stingrays. In the photos, my friend and fellow photographer Mark is pictured taking selfies with his stingrays at sunrise. I'm not sure, though, I'm going to put a squid on my face mask just to get a picture. That's <laughs> like when you hand-feed mores, you know? Yeah, because do you see the photos down below where it shows how he's getting those selfies? Yeah. Oh, he did get a selfie. So the 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 what they're referring to was uh, the other diver who was photographing him getting the selfies. Right. You know, I you know he's done stingrays. How about he try that with a shark? You know, yeah, a little hang a thing right a little, little bit neck. of chum right around your neck. <laughs> Hold the, you, I, but make sure you have the camera in burst mode because we we want to be able to see all the shops before and after your decapitation. Yeah, and have your buddy off to the side really getting it. Yeah, <laughs> I mean he'd probably get a couple of million hits real easy. A couple billion hits, and if he was smart, he'd get a life insurance policy on you before you went out. And then we have a shipwreck Norman named one of the top sites to dive in the United States. The local shipwreck in Lake Huron is grabbing international headlines. A shipwreck Norman in the Thunder, Day, Thunder Bay National Marine Sanctuary is ranked one of the top sites to dive in the United States and Canada. For local divers and members of NOAA, it's no surprise that this site was ranked. The audience that they're reaching, those divers from all around the world, they are looking for great sites to go and dive, and definitely we have a world-class diving destination here, and that's neat to see it's confirmed in our national media, said diver and NOAA volunteer coordinator Steph Gandula. Dive is approximately 200 feet down, making it one of the most difficult in Lake Huron. The shipwreck is well-preserved and offers divers a chance to explore and enjoy this piece of history. In 2016, the Norman was placed in the National Register of Historic Places. The Norman Shipwreck is featured in a long list of sites in the Florida Keys, California, and even up in British Columbia. The article is featured on the Microsoft Network on their lifestyle page. And then if you uh, follow us and when we post this on our website, we'll have a link to where you can see this article and click all the way to the actual Norman website. Have you had a chance to dive the Norman? No, I have not. Most of my diving around that area were shallow water in the muck. Yeah. Less than 30 feet out there. Yeah, I'm thinking I might have to head over there. Now, this one's a little bit outside my diving range, so I won't be able to see this. But glad to see that people are recognizing some of the shipwrecks that we have here. And how's this for a find? What is believed to be a 17th century grenade has been discovered in a dollar cove in Gunwallow. was uncovered by... Mullen history enthusiast Nick Gibbons, who spotted in, embedded in a rust-colored rock at Jangle Rhine, preserved thanks to its concretions. Falmouth University. Is that, I said Falmouth. Is that, is that Falmouth? I need to say what the British accent probably doesn't sound so bad. University journalism students uh, Joseph Bunkle and William Dax, who joined Nick, said the grenade is most likely from the shipwreck of the HMS Shinadam, in 1684, with similar grenades having been found in the area in the past. Dollar Cove is a popular destination for treasure hunters due to the reports of the silver dollar occasionally washing up remnants of a Spanish shipwreck in the area. Did they say what it was made of? I'm looking at the pictorial, and that looks like, you remember the old uh, smudge pots? 
Uh-huh. That's what it looks like, doesn't it? It does. Except the, the cap is uh, more octagon at the top. Yeah. But the you know the body looks like a smudge pot. Yeah, but that's in darn good shape considering it's been on our hundreds of years. Yeah, it makes you wonder what they, like you said, what is it made out of? Is that like a brass or a bronze? Or a metallic, not metallic, but is it, in fact, a hollowed out rock or something? I don't know. Oh, that, that very well could be. I mean, they made they, they, they made note that it was preserved thanks to concretions. But, I mean, just about anything that doesn't rot away uh, in the ocean will get concretions on it. Huh. Yeah. I'm, I'm really also curious of, you know, how susceptible is that to detonation? I don't. What does fill with? I, I'm going to have to look that up now to see what kind I, of igniter. I, what, you know, I think these, and I'm not sure about this specific one, but it looks similar to others that I've seen photos of where they had a wick. So it was it was hollowed out. Uh, it had gunpowder in, and then they had a wick coming out, and you lit it, and you would watch and you know kind of time it. Because you didn't want to, you wanted to have a little enough wick so that when you threw it, they couldn't throw it back at you. Sounds reasonable to me. Yeah. I don't want to play catch with, with my own grenade. And then they have, you're, go ahead. I was going to say, you know the times I have found the explosives? Yeah. You, over uh, in Singer Lake? Yeah. It's like, it's one of those items you're glad you found it when you did, not any time earlier. Yeah. yeah what well, we're talking about here is people used to fish with dynamite. So somebody was out on the lake using pipe bombs, but using a mercury switch with a battery. So it would go down, hit the bottom, tilt to the side, and then blow up on the bottom. Wouldn't blow up before you got there. All well and good, except when it's really silty and muck, it doesn't tilt. It goes down and goes thunk and stays there. So some other time during the day, or hopefully years later, the diver comes floating by and he starts grubbing around. And he picks these pipe things up and he hauls them to the surface, where he then discovers that, fortunately, the batteries have expired and they did not detonate. <laughs> and, you know, I called the state cops. They came and took them away. Not concerned, other than because I'm not dead. <laughs> yeah. But you know, if, you, if you found that now, you'd well, have freaking FBI, DEA, everybody. Well, they get, they get how- credit for stopping a terrorist attack. Well, it's like when we found the railroad torpedoes under the bridge. You know, we've got this case. It's like, damn, this is that kind of stuff. So we hauled it over to the police station. They really appreciated it until they realized that the detonator was that manganese. I can't even think what it's called now, but you impact it and it goes bang. (laughs) And they suggested very strongly if we would please remove that from their building. (laughs) As long as it was wet, they didn't care. But nowadays, if I did that or t- turn that in, <laughs> you'd, it'd be on NBC, CNN, and the rest of the thing. Yeah. Now, for those who don't know, what is a railroad torpedo? Oh, all right. Remember the, the little items about uh, big as a cherry, a little bit bigger than that? You could used to buy them for a nickel, and you could take them and throw them down on the sidewalk, and they'd go mm-hmm. bang. Well, a railroad tail torpedo was one like that except on steroids. And before you had communications with the trains, they would take these and put them on the track in a sequence. So when the rails went, well, when the train went over it, you'd hear this bang, 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 and they had it in such a sequence that it meant something to the engineer. Usually, stop. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, there's, there's a problem up ahead, guys. You might not want to go there. Yeah, the, the, the bridge um, is out. <laughs> yeah, something like that. So, and again, we found it off the trestle because that's where we find lots of good stuff. And that's God, you're talking 35 years ago, not more. <laughs> Just That's how long week. we've been diving that river, and there's still stuff out there. You can't tell that you've pulled anything out. No, you can't. And I, I you, you heard the guys, uh, you, did you read that article they did last week on the club? No. Oh, yeah, it was in the paper down there in Nile. And uh, they want to know that if we find their, they, they lost some porta giants, and they fully expect us to find them. <laughs> <laughs> the porta giants. And I, yeah, they, because remember how it, the water came up? Uh-huh. It took those handicapped ones into the river. They're done. They're gone. Oh, the ones that were, oh, I yeah. know. Wow. The ones we used to change in. Yeah. So See, they want those back. And I said, we, if we find them, we will tell you, but you're going to have to bring something to haul them out with because we're not going to do that. <laughs> you know, if they're junk, we don't want to be responsible for I, We need to get, we need to find them and do some photo ops. Those, those would be great. 
especially on the water. Yes. If they're going to be anywhere, they're going to be down under the bridge, the railroad bridge, where uh-huh. that crevasse is. That's where I bet they get tangled up. Yeah. Well, but, th- uh, that current was yeah, ripping was- through there. They could be anywhere, really. That's that is unbelievable. Yeah, I, I mean, it makes sense that they're not there because I'm sure when the water came up, they were a little bit buoyant and floated until they sank. Yeah, yeah. Well, as another side note, I got an email just today uh, because of that article. Seems like uh, a lady is trying to locate, let me rephrase, her father, I think it was, had his house renovated several years ago. Didn't say how long ago. And noted in the article that they had put out that we had found a Viking sword in the river under the bridge. Oh. And they want to know, could they take a look at it to see if that's one of his that was stolen? And, of course, I said, you send me a picture, and I'll compare it with what I've got. Yeah, I'm not just... <laughs> but it, right, yeah. Oh, sure, that's mine. Uh, no, I'd like to see a picture of it first, but it would be interesting because if it is, I have no problem giving it back. I'd just like to know the history of it. Yeah. Well, and that would be that, that could make sense. That would explain why it was in the river. If you stole it, and oh, then, you know it was stolen. A kid can't take that home and hide it under his bed. A five foot <laughs> biking cord. Mom's gonna notice. Mom's gonna notice and say, "Where did you get that?" Billy gave so, it to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The same with the bicycle, things like that. Yeah. But anyway, I decided no. But that's going to be interesting. But we're now on the lookout for porta potties. Porta potties. River River Johns, we'll call them. Yeah. And then this last article is it was one of the nation's deadliest maritime mysteries. North Carolina explorers solved it this week. Divers found conclusive proof that a wreck 40 miles off North Carolina is the Pulaski, the ship that sank in 1838 with half its wealthy passengers. The evidence came in the form of a candlestick holder with the phrase S.B. Pulaski on the bottom. That stands for Steamboat Pulaski, said Keith Webb of the Blue Water Ventures International, a partner in the recovery effort with Endurance Exploration Group. This is a game changer, and I have believed for so long we are in the right spot. There's nothing like the feeling of having something like this confirmed. A token with the ship's name has also been found at the site, bringing it to two identifying pieces, he said. The sink of the Pulaski has often been referred to as the Titanic of its time, because this ship was in a state of the art and the 200 plus passengers were the wealthiest and most influential families in the Southeast. When Webb has proven that the ship went down more than 10 miles farther out to sea than historians originally believed and that it sank so fast, passengers had little time to gather their money or jewelry. Dr. Joseph Schwartz, well, let me see, Schwar, Schwarzer, director of the North Carolina Maritime Museum, was among the historians waiting for Webb to prove that he was in the right spot. Uh, he was hoping for the ship's bell, but he said the candlestick holder with the ship's name is just as good. This is really a smoking gun. It's like finding proof of something which was not just history, but almost legendary. It's the empirical evidence. The wreck is no longer folklore in the pages of a book. There's actually objects that prove it is out there. When historians, What historians want now is to change the site painstakingly studied, he said, along with the mysteries yet to be solved. He says... What caused the ship to sink? Did the boilers explode, as legend has it, or was it something else? Blue Water Ventures and Endurance Exploration has archaeologists visiting the site constantly, along with Blue Water's divers. Webb says great care is being taken not to disturb the area, including not using suction dredges to remove the sand. He has invited the state archaeologists to dive the site with his team. We really want to find out what caused the explosion and we'll continue to study the wreckage as a whole. Pulaski was bound for Baltimore from Savannah when it sank at around 11 p.m. on June 13, 1838, and disappeared. 100 and roughly 200 plus, uh, 100 of the roughly 200 plus people on board died, including many who were scalded to death by steam from exploding boilers, according to the North Carolina Shipwrecks blog. Newspaper accounts tell dramatic stories of of panicky passengers in nightclothes seeking refuge on the promenade deck as the bow rose out of the water and ripped apart. Webb says it's clear that passengers fled the ship without having time to gather their money or jewelry or other valuables. Last week, divers found 68 coins, bringing the total number of gold and silver coins found in the rep to 115. Divers also begun pulling up keys, jewelry, along with pocket watch and a gold-plated box that is the size of a matchbox. We had something inside that makes it very heavy for its size, Webb says. He believes divers could spend years in the site, which is more than 100 feet down in a spot where temperatures are 58 degrees. Visibility is more than 70 feet. The wreck is also dangerously close to the Gulf Stream. 
Endurance Exploration owns a rec site, and having filed an admiralty claim in federal court, this means it's legal right to salvage a spot and whoever and owns whatever is recovered. Blue Water Ventures will survey a few miles in each direction before the project is completed, Webb said. The wreck itself is so old it looks less like a ship than more like a 30-by-60-foot pile of copper. The pile includes both the boilers, copper walls that surrounded the boilers, which are lapped into each other, he said. Evidence of the violent explosion been found in the ruins, he added, including large pieces of copper blown hundreds of yards from the wreck. And then there's a graving in this article that shows uh, what they thought it to be. So this is one of the side wheelers then, back then. He made it sound like the water was pretty warm, 58 degrees. Whoa! Yeah, I'm extra. thinking the same thing, and, and it's only more than 70 feet visibility. That sounds like a nice dive. You know, 100, 100 feet is a little bit deeper than you like for an extended amount of times, but... If they're finding what they're finding, that would be a fun dive. Uh, you know, even, I mean, you're going to give it to them. They're going to be part of the recovery effort. Yeah. But it would still be quite interesting. Well, they could do, of what course. was it, the, uh, is it the uh, Atosha? Is that the one where you can go and pay to be on it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, they could do the same thing with this one. Bring up part of history. That is so fun. The chat room says, I'll dive it. Uh, most of us would, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, the other part I didn't understand is, what was this significant about, what did he say about the current? It was near something? You, you referenced that. Let me see. They said it was near one of the, uh, which stream was it? Gulf Stream or Jetra? I don't know. The Gulf Stream. Um, Why was that significant? The wreck is also dangerously close to the Gulf Stream, Webb says. What does that mean? I don't know. Is it, what makes that dangerous? Is it just the current? Yeah, yeah Jim in the chat room is saying warmer water and strong currents. Which I understand. I guess I just don't understand the context of, I mean, is it one of those things that if you're a diver and you venture into it, then before you know it, you're a couple hundred feet down range? Well, it's interesting. Even on ours, some days you'll be on the surface and nothing, and you go down and you're like a flag on a, yeah. you know, on a high wind. Yeah. You go down to the bottom. Because you got nothing there. You come back up and it's reversed the other direction. And that's <laughs> in Lake Michigan Yeah, or Lake Huron. Yeah, you, you, it's, it's unbelievable how that, that stuff can move and change. And then we did have uh, from Rod Down Under, he uh, sent us a link to an article, which is a follow-up. If you remember, we had covered a Kickstarter project, and the item was called the Nemo, and he sent us a link. That was pretty neat, too. Yeah, and it says, first looks at our, our and this is somebody who posted it, behind-the-scenes look at our first dive of the Nemo prototypes. And the Nemo was a, is that, is that kind of a, would you call that a hooker rig? Yeah, it is a hooker rig. Obviously, it's got to be a low-powered, run-off batteries, and like you said, limited to 10 feet, I believe it said. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and the, the hose is kind of an unusual hose. It's like, like a corrugated uh, hose, kind of like, I guess it is a little bit, of, it's a corrugated with a wire wrap to keep it from collapsing. But it's not a very heavy-duty hose. And what they do is they say, clip the hose on your shoulder so your regulator stays comfortably in your mouth while diving. Uh, uh, Does it reference about scuba diving or training or what? I, I never look. None, most of these don't talk about any sort of training, at least formally. Yeah. I always keep thinking somebody's 10 feet down. You know, just went, and all of a sudden get spooked. You go, what the hell, and jump, you know, come straight up with a full breath of oh, air. Yeah. That can be helpful. Yeah, you got to breathe out. I'm looking at the comments of one of the photos, and one of the people says, looks like I know what I'm going to get for my 75th birthday. <laughs> Way lighter than tanks and weights. Maybe I should have, I should call it a high-pressure snorkel. <laughs> That's what I, when I looked at it, I thought, is that what that really is? Because you look at the, what they're calling the regulator, that is a really small, I mean, it is, I guess it is a regulator, but it's not at the capacities that we're used to doing with with full scuba. Well, that's, remember I told you how I started out, we were taking a fire pilot mask, hooking it to a snorkel, and that's how uh-huh. I found out you can't go deep and not breathe, and that's when we started putting a, you know, air pump, bicycle mm-hmm. pump, pumping air through the snorkel down to the mask. <laughs> Tasted terrible, but it worked. That's what that reminds me of, only a battery-powered one. I'm trying to see if we can find anything about what the... 
price says. Their website is diveblu3.com, and it's the Nemo. See, they have a shop link. Let me see if I can get anything from the shop link. As my rocket fast rural internet is torturing the squirrels. No, I don't think it must not be available yet. So they've got a hat you can buy, a long sleeve EDP protective long sleeve. Mask, fins, and snorkel are are now seventy nine dollars from ninety nine, and you can buy a spare air for two eighty nine. So this must the Nemo must be something that's. So it says practice what you preach with reusable plastic alternatives, and soon pre order your blue system, whether it's a Nemo or the Nomad. So they they must still be in the working on the Kickstarter uh, before they go and actually sell it directly. I'd still like to try that out just to see what kind of uh, volume you have and can you comfortably dive it and be with it. Because like we talked about earlier, mm-hmm. you know, if you, you can't handle the tank on your back anymore because you're getting old like me, you know, 8 to 10 foot, that's what we're grubbing in. That would work out. Yeah. Again, I forgot the chat room. Oh, I'm bad that way. But I think that does it for Scuba in the News. Let's see. I I have not gotten any diving in, and I know you haven't uh, recovering from your cough. Yeah, bron- bronchitis slash sinus slash a bunch of other crap. But, uh, yeah, I know Bob and them, they did get to Gilboa. Um, oh, yeah, there's a the Great Lakes Wrecking Crew. Yep, for the meet and greet. Uh, it was not the normal uh, heavy-duty crowd that they normally have. Uh, some of the individuals who normally facilitate that, meaning making, I won't say roundness. <laughs> they were there, darn it, they said. Uh, building um, the memories. Yeah, they, they weren't there to help build memories, uh, but they still had a good time, good dives. Uh, I know Kevin has been out and about in so different places, uh, always. And uh, so I'm, I'm uh, expecting down the road we're going to hear a little bit more on fresh shipwrecks he's been uh, researching and or diving. Uh, let's see who else. I saw something posted the other day by uh, John, but I think he was talking about uh, some new equipment he may have for his boat because I think his boat's in the water. Yeah, I saw that uh, he the 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 rig that puts a boat in the water blew a tire. Yeah, but it is safely in the water. Yep. And uh, then there's a lot of um, chip chat and people volunteering to work with the mermaids, where they're going to try to set a Guinness World Record. So they're looking for uh, an individual to ride herd on little flocks of mermaids. Uh, they're looking for people who are going to be in the water with kayaks. I think Mary Beth is going to be one of those. So if people are on the docks and the piers. Anybody falls in, they'll have rescue available. Oh, I thought we were going to um, go, like, like, try and hunt or find mermaids. No, you're going to be able to find them because there's going to be hundreds upon hundreds. Oh, wow. That, that makes my odds uh, better than normal. Uh, yeah, you're talking... They're looking at minimum maybe 500, but they're not. They're going to try not to go over 1,000 because if you go over 1,000, you have to have certified event quarters because if you're going to take credit for it, they want to make sure it uh, costs money to have other people come and verify you. Uh-huh. But, uh, and if you want to volunteer to be a herder, uh, that's a poor choice of words. A mermaid herder. <laughs> they need one per 50, 50 mermaids. Uh and if you do volunteer, you, they need security, they need pool watchers, and get a nice tool or a T-shirt that's going to say something about uh, security for mermaids, something or other. Yeah. Uh, so it's turning into quite an event. Yeah, and if, if I don't I, have anything else know. going on, I will certainly be there. Well, I know Jim is having to work Saturday, but he's going to be there. He's volunteered for Sunday, even with the, the little the Zodiac. Mm-hmm. Um, I know Mary Beth had volunteered, and I'm not which days, if not both. And they actually need people even that following Monday because, obviously, after an event like that, you have to clean up. So I'm hoping I'm better because I'd like to go at least at the minimum take some underwater shots because you know how I like mermaids. Yeah. Yeah, who doesn't like a mermaid? Come on. Oh. So now, are any of the mermaids actually oh. going to be in the water? I guess I, I'm not quite understanding. My, my understanding, not now because it's too freaking cold. But they're going to have pool work. There's actually two days, and I think one was last week already, where they were teaching you how to swim like a mermaid. And then they had it by age groups of youngs and teens and now older. And they're also mermen. Mermen, huh? Mermen. Now, I haven't seen any pictures of mermen, 
but equal opportunity. Yeah, I, I, I would I would go for that, but I think I'd look more like an orca than a merman. <laughs> an attractive orca, though. Um, yeah, okay, yeah. I just know what we look like trying to get out of the ice. <laughs> yes, we feel like. Not really attractive. No, no. So, uh, yeah, I think... Uh, uh, I think what most of the women are envisioning is is not going to be us. So we'll we'll leave that to the the chiseled specimens. Does do mermen have split tails? As Jim asking, I have. And, and Karen, who's uh, helping organize it, she's in the chat room as well. So. Oh, good, good. Nope. <laughs> well, if she hasn't, does she have any other ideas or anything she want to plug while yeah, we're on the air? Yeah, yeah, Karen, let us know if there's anything you wants to plug about that. And I'm sure also that they could use some, there's probably some fundraising or expenses uh, that are going on with that event. And then this weekend, it looks like we're going to have some people doing some diving. I know on Sunday, it looked like Bob was going to try and get his boat out. And Saturday, we have a few people in the dive club who are having their boats, you know, getting spiffied up to be ready to head out into the big lake. So uh, I'm I'm planning well, everybody in my family's doing something else and robotics season has ended. I think I may go and help play around with some boats, get some boats in shape, and we'll get some diving going. Yeah, if I wasn't in a lousy shape. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it get, get well. It's, I do that. I, I, I'm, I'm like a bad patient, and I, I have a hard time sitting around. But, uh, yeah, you want to get well so you can get in, because this, this should be a good good year for for uh, getting some diving in. Uh, Karen says, anyone who wants to dress up, we need you down at the beach for from noon three noon to three on Saturday, there's the help if you need a tail skirt. Now this is still the twenty sixth, uh, I believe. Yes, yeah, May twenty sixth. So those that are reading this, and if you want to find an excuse to come to Southwest Michigan, what better excuse than mermaids? Now this one is—is is this going to be in South Haven? Yes. Yeah, so it's South Haven. So just a the one port north of uh, Saint Joe. I, I can't remember the site right now. Maybe um, Karen can go ahead and tell us the site. We can actually put it on so they can look that up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we can add. Because there's a great video of the mermaids that if you didn't know, they don't really exist. Well, they actually obviously do. But yeah. this was taken with a drone, and it was awesome video. Okay. So the website is www.mermaidmegafest.com. Click on that. If I go disappear for a moment it's that page that web page loading she says they're also on facebook i could see this being one of those things that you know if, if your first season is this big just imagine what the second season will be it says mermaid megafest is a four-day celebration of merfolk on a mission mermaids from around the world will gather in south haven michigan during a memorial week in 2018 to participate in the Guinness World Records official attempt for the largest gathering of people dressed as mermaids. Come and join the fun. Become mermaid as easy as this event does not require you to get wet. Just make or buy a costume, sign up for re-registration, and join the conclave. <laughs> she says, I'm going to have an ulcer before it's done. Worrying about the folks in the beer. Oh, so is that why they want us in the water? I couldn't figure that out. If they're not getting the water, why do we need divers? But that's to fish them out when they get wet. I, that, I would be more afraid of somebody deliberately jumping in. Thinking you know, they could dive? With, to get in with a mermaid or something. Yeah. Yeah, Jim is asking, is there a catch limit on the mermaids? <laughs> Only my wife would tell me my catch limit. I yeah. tell you what that is already. <laughs> you have to get that one approved in advance. I can always say I'm catching them for somebody else. Wow, very impressive. Very well organized, too, from looking at the website. So I encourage everybody to go to the website, www.mermaidmegafest.com, and take a look. Oh, yeah, some some of the stuff in the chat room I'm not going to repeat. <laughs> you're, if you're not in the chat room, you're missing out. I'm not in the chat room, obviously. I'm not, I'm missing. <laughs> then you're missing. Yeah. Uh, so I've, I think we've got that. Now, did you have a... Uh, uh, safety tip of the week? Well, actually, I, I got a little event here. I, I'll go through It's a little extensive, and I hope my voice will last. Uh, I don't think we've covered this one. This is three divers enter a cave, but only two make it out. Okay, death trap. Phil couldn't believe the mess he'd made of his dive. He was glad his buddies Rex and Evan 
and brought their pony bottles with them. When he ran out of air deep inside the cave, Rex donated his, his reserve tank to Phil. Phil knew he would have died without it. Phil followed his buddies to the surface. He swam behind them because he needed to get control of his breathing. He knew he, that his friends would be waiting for him and that he owed Rex a big time uh, for giving him his pony bottle. And then it got hard to draw breath from the reserve tank. Phil was a 34-year-old experienced scuba diver who held advanced open water and cavern diving. It was close to an expansive freshwater cave system, offered pristine water, interesting diving. Though he enjoyed taking the cavern diving class, he never took the next step for pursuing a full cave diving certification. From his perspective, there wasn't much difference, except for the cost. So now we talk about the dive. Phil, Rex, and Evan arrived at the dive site on a warm, clear morning. They set up on a single air tank. They each had a separate pony bottle they planned to use at the safety stop at the end of the dive. But they didn't discuss the plan for the dive, except they all intended to explore inside the cave system. And even though they did lack the proper certification and gear. The three friends entered the water by climbing down a set of stairs, floated out into the crystal clear water. Phil hated having the extra tank clipped to his BC, so he decided to leave his own spare tank outside the cave entrance. He planned to use it for a safety stop, so he reasoned it would be ready for him when he got back. In the meantime, he could enjoy not having the additional drag. The three divers began exploring the cave system within the light zone, but then they moved off, they moved off inside the cave system where they were totally dependent upon their underwater light, which meant they couldn't see their way back out. The accident. Three divers took their time exploring the cave system. They were nearly 200 feet inside the cavern cave when Phil took a breath from his regulator and nothing came out. The buddies were close together, but it took Phil a few moments to get Rex's attention. Once he realized what was happen, happening, Rex gave Phil his pony bottle. Once they helped calm Phil, Rex and Evan headed towards the exit. Their own tanks were nearly empty and they had only one pony bottle as a reserve. Phil's extra tank was back at the safety stop point, so at least they would have reserve air to breathe once they exited the cavern, but they had to reach it first. Once the trio turned the dive, Phil signaled that he would follow behind his buddies Rex and Evan. Rex and Evan didn't realize Phil was missing until they reached the safety stop. Recovery team brought his body out of the cave later that day. His death was declared a drowning due to entrapment in a cave with an exhausted gas supply. Then they did some analysis. analysis. Cavern diving certification is a great introductory class. It teaches divers how to improve their buoyancy control. Staying off the bottom inside the cavern is extremely important to avoid stirring up silt, reducing visibility. This is very much a key to both a sightseeing perspective and safety. And cavern diving, you also learn about cave systems, get an introduction to the techniques necessary to explore further, including following lines, underwater light. However, Cavern diving does not certify you to enter a cave system or qualify you to explore them. Cavern diving is limited to a maximum of 130-foot linear feet from the surface. This includes depth and horizontal penetration inside the cavern. Another critical restriction in cavern diving is that you must always remain in sight of the exit. You should always be able to see the sun through the entrance of the cavern, through the cavern. Anytime you move outside that natural light zone, you are in a cave environment. Now, cave divers always carry at least three lights, sometimes four. Cavern divers are supposed to carry two and use daylight as the third. As a cavern diver, you can always exit the cave system by swimming towards the daylight. Diving in a cavern at night is not an option for this particular reason. Key rule in cave diving is breathing gas management. In a cave, you cannot make a direct descent to the surface. So obviously you must have an adequate breathing gas supply to get out of the cave. Cave and cavern divers typically follow the rule of thirds, meaning one-third of air for the cave penetration, one-third on the way out, the third for reserve if a problem were to occur. In Phil's case, he violated every single rule of cavern certification. He moved from the light zone into a full cave setting. Trio were nearly 200 feet inside the cave when Phil ran out of air, exceeding the 130-foot maximum. It wasn't a factor in this, in this accident, but he carried only one light with him, the same as the others. Most important, though, was Phil did not manage his breathing gas supply. If he had monitored, monitored his submersible pressure gauge, 
he would have realized he was low on air way before he was completely out. He should have signaled his buddies when he was at two-thirds of his air supply at the minimum and began heading back towards the server. His buddies would have ended their own dives and headed out as well. Phil's bees had their reserve tanks with them so they could account for that air supply and their overall calculation of rule of thirds. But Phil chose to leave his pony bottle behind, and at that point, he was limited to the 80 cubic feet of air on his back. They said there's no way to exactly understand what happened to Phil on the way out. It is likely he panicked or was still breathing heavily, but he's were ahead of him, so it's possible he got lost. There was a line inside the cave, but he might have lost contact with it for some reason. If any of these things happened, panic may have exacerbated, or exacerbated the situation. Regardless, for the second time on the same dive, Phil ran out of air. This time, there was no one there to help him. Running out of air inside of a cave or in any overhead environment, for that matter, is easily avoidable. You have to constantly monitor your breathing gas supply. Turn the dive when you arrange your plan limit. If you have a 3,000 you know, PSI of air, that means when you hit 2,000, your dive is over. You should be at the entrance, if not already coming up. Some cave divers use different calculations on their turn pressures and gas reserves but they are all the more conservative than the rule of thirds, not less. Remember, cave diving certification is an important, cavern diving is an important first step in exploring the environment of the submerged cave systems, but it's not the same thing as being a cave diver. So lessons for life, stay out of the cave systems unless you're properly trained and equipped. No worse way to dive than watching your pressure gauge drop to zero. Plan your dive, dive the plan, practice for emergency situations. And if you plan to leave decompression safety stops, you know, breathing gas outside or cave over, you must plan the dive based on the gas you're carrying with you. If it isn't with you, it doesn't factor into your calculation. Lessons learned for two of the three, the hard way also. Yeah. Yeah, that is not a, a good way to learn. And for those thinking about doing cavern or cave diving, just think about your worst diving situation and imagine that you couldn't get to the surface not a fun feeling very good article well the chat room is certainly filled up we have jim and karen and ted and eric and derek all in there so thanks everybody for tuning in it's nice to have a full chat room keeps us on our toes see it seems like uh is there anything that you want to plug mac oh uh, other than the mermaids, if, uh, you can yeah. support that on any particular days. I think Karen is mm-hmm. one of the hurt honchos on that. So uh, drop her a line, email. I know they can always use. You can never have enough surface support, period. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they're also looking for people to donate. The, their goal is to have 1,000 people donate $10 each to help them run the event. Or if you have a business that would benefit from the exposure, their sponsorship opportunities as well. That'll help pay for these events. If you like these type of activities, you need to support them so they can continue year after year. Absolutely. And I'd like it to continue. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Mermaids in our own backyard. Great Lake Mermaids. That'd be, that'd be a nice uh, to be known for. Nice destination. And the cause for this event is protecting our water wonderland. Uh, And if Kevin was here, he'd be saying, go out and uh, support your librarians. So support the librarians, the libraries, and your local research facilities, universities. Those and are the, as all and yeah. as always, also support your local dive shop because when they go away, you ain't got no air, buddy. Yeah, <laughs> it's a lot of pumps with a bicycle pump to get up to that uh, to fill your tank. So I'd yeah, much rather go spending, in and have the shop do it. Yeah, you may be spending a little more than you had anticipated for a compressor or get, getting your club to get one. And then you'll realize how much maintenance is involved, what filters cost. So support your dive, you know, your local dive shop. I can't think of anything else. I'm, I'm a little rusty at this. We've, uh, we've kind of been light this spring. Uh, thank all our Patreon supporters who have stuck with us through this. And we did actually get show notes out this week. Last week, I had the show notes, and uh, I couldn't get the page to load. Now I can't find the show notes, so. Uh, I may have to reverse engineer it by actually listening to the episode. I have to listen to myself talk. Oh, my gosh. No, oh, not, not my no. own voice. I, oh. I still sometimes when I do go back and I do review some of these sometimes, it doesn't sound like me. It's somebody else. It sounds like that. Yes. <laughs> oh, I think everybody says that. 
And uh, drop us a line if you have any input for the show or, or guests you'd like to see. I think it's to the point now where I'll start booking guests for the season. And it's at the show at scubaobsess.com. And if you like the little, yeah, if you like the safety tips, I'd like to know that because I'll continue to look for, let's learn from somebody else's mistake. Uh, My favorite way. Somebody else can learn the hard way. I'll learn the easy way. Well, I think we are to that time of the show. If you are ready. All right. Yes, I am. This one's going to be a quick one. So if you blink, you'll miss it. The weasel walks into a bar. The bartender looks up and says, wow, in all my years tending bar, I've never had a weasel stop by. What can I get you? Pop goes the weasel. You're right. That's pretty quick. (laughs) (laughs) That one was from Rod. Again, he said it was short, and it certainly was. So thank you, Rod, for turning it in. If you got a joke you'd like us to do, go ahead and send it to us. Do it even on, anonymously. Anonymously, yeah. <laughs> Whoa, what have you? Yeah, yeah. Only take credit for it when it turns out to be good. Yeah, if it's good, you know, maybe. Yeah, we'll, we'll try not to throw you under the bus. So until next time, go out there and get wet and stay safe. <laughs>